Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. My name's Clark, and uh, I help lead our young adult ministry uh, here at Grace Church uh, called New Perspective. I'm so excited to be here with you tonight, especially if you or someone that you invited us here for the very first time. Merry Christmas. We're so incredibly, incredibly thankful that you carved out time to spend, uh, hang out with us for your Christmas Eve. So thank you for being here. Glad you're here. Um, also, make yourself at home. We have eggnog in the cafe and cookies. And uh, parents, if your kids want to take a ride on the, uh, the sleigh ride, we have one of those outside as well. And so uh, a little bit about us. Uh, we are Grace Church, uh, the Medina East Campus. We're one campus, uh, part of a whole network of other campuses that make up one church known as Grace Church. Um, our campus has been around for about four years, um, four years ago in December. And uh, we currently have two services on Saturday evenings and two other services on Sunday mornings. And we would love for you to come and uh, join us for one of those service times. It'd be great to have you back couple things I just want to uh, mention to you to have on your radars. Uh, in the seats in front of you, there should be some information about a couple of ministries that we partner with. I want to talk about those a little bit real quick. Uh, the first one is a local partnership uh, with a ministry right here in Medina known as Oasis of Hope. And what they do is really phenomenal to help moms in their place of need. And so we're really excited that we get to partner with that local ministry here in Medina. The second one is our global partnership, and they go by the name of uh, Jaguza Children's Ministry. And they're actually uh, in Uganda. And what they do is they help orphans in Africa. They help provide for them um, a family and a home and an education. And so both those ministries, they're phenomenal. We're so thankful we get to partner with them. And tonight we all have the opportunity. We're going to uh, give a, uh, take a special Christmas offering and so if you feel led to give in any way, uh, if you're doing it through check, just write, uh, make it payable to Grace Church. And then on the memo line, you can just designate a special Christmas offering and just write that on the envelope as well. And then you can simply just drop those in those tall black tubes that are next to our, uh, our doors on the way out here tonight. And so just want to encourage you to uh, take advantage of that. And uh, lastly, I just want to mention... Um, like I said, we have two services on Saturday evenings and two services Sunday mornings. We would love for you, uh, your friends, family, to join us with a brand new conversation that we're starting. It's all kicking off January 7th and 8th called Teach Us to Pray. And of course, it's going to be all about prayer. Uh, in our cafe at our Welcome Center desk, we're going to have uh, prayer journals available for you at cost. And so we just want to encourage you uh, to come and join us in that conversation. Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. Go ahead and grab a seat, and uh, thank you so, so much for being here with us tonight. And my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at the Medina East Campus, and uh, again, let me just say thank you so much for being here with us uh, today as we get a chance to kind of celebrate Christmas. I know that, that for many of you, you might be right in the midst of, or maybe for some of you, you are amping up for um, all of the Christmas traditions with your family, whatever that might look like for you and uh, for your family. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for taking the time and carving that out and, uh, and being with us here together as we have a chance kind of this evening to really focus our hearts and our attention and our mind uh, on the true message of Christmas, on the true meaning of Christmas, what it is that we're actually celebrating this time of year. I know for me, I, I think that what we're doing here today is so important. And I think it's so, so, so good because if you're anything like me, my guess is you've probably already found out that uh, with the flurry of activities that tends to happen around the Christmas season, uh, with the traditions and with the tree and the celebrations and the family, uh, that sometimes uh, we can lose sight of what it is that we're actually celebrating. Uh, sometimes it's easy for the true meaning of Christmas to kind of get buried underneath 
all of the trappings that come along with Christmas. And so that's why I love having an opportunity to be together like this, where we can just kind of really focus our attention and focus our hearts for the hour that we have here together, just on what Christmas is all about, on the meaning and what it is that we're really celebrating. And, uh, and so I think that's really important. You know, in fact, it's interesting, this past week I was even just thinking about how even the message, the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth, is actually something that has been sort of misunderstood and misrepresented in our culture. And so if you, uh, if you listen to the Christmas songs and if you watch some of the renditions of the birth of Jesus, there are a lot of, a lot of commonly accepted misconceptions about the Christmas story that you actually don't find in the Bible. So I thought it might be kind of interesting as we kind of start this service off uh, to start with by, by just talking about three misconceptions about the Christmas story that kind of surround this time of year. So I just thought maybe we could do that. Here's the first one. Misconception number one about the Christmas story uh, involves the wise men. All right, there is a, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions, and a lot of misunderstanding about who these guys were and exactly what it was that they did. Um, I think that uh, a lot of these misconceptions probably stem from the famous Christmas song, all of us know, that's uh, intended to be sung from the vantage point of the wise men, We Three Kings. I think all of us know the lyrics of that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, uh, Bearing Gifts We Traverse Afar. And of course, while that's a nice song, we like to sing that, uh, that song is full of a whole bunch of eh, probably nots in there. And uh, so, for example, we sing We Three Kings. Now, I'm not entirely sure where the idea that these guys were kings originated from, uh, but biblically speaking, we have no indication that these guys were royalty or that they were even associated with royalty. Uh, the Bible simply calls them wise men, uh, or some of the translations that we have call them magi, which is where we get our English word magician from. So commentators point out that these guys were astrologers. I know that in our day and age, when we think of astrologer, uh, astrology, we tend to think of mysticism, and we tend to think of uh, horoscopes and all those type of things. It was a little bit different back then, but here's one thing we know for sure. These guys weren't kings, all right? The second thing that's kind of wrong with the whole Wiseman situation is we oftentimes assume that there was three of them. Uh, we sing, we three kings. It's been commonly accepted that there was three of these wise men. And uh, in fact, if you have a nativity set, my guess is you probably have wise men in that nativity set, and there's probably three of them. Uh, now, again, uh, this is a misconception because the Bible doesn't really tell us how many wise men there were. In fact, scholars actually point out that if you had a traveling group of astrologers that came from a far off distant land, uh, most likely they would probably travel in a caravan of at least 12, probably more than that. And so oftentimes uh, we, we assume that there's three of these guys, uh, but in the Bible we don't really see that. So it's another misconception around Christmas. That's the wise men. So if anyone asks you, now you know. Here's misconception number two. Misconception number two about the Christmas story. A lot that has to do with the nativity scene. Uh, the nativity scene is one in which there are many misconceptions uh, that are kind of within that. If your family is anything like my family, my guess is that among all the Christmas decorations that you have at your house, you probably have the tree and the lights and all of that. The probably intermixed in there somewhere is a nativity set. And my family actually has four of them. Uh, they were all gifts to us because I guess if you're a pastor, you don't know what to get your, your you know, that relative. So they, I, I get a nativity set every year. So we have four of them. And, and what do you see when you look at a nativity scene? Well, usually you see kind of the same thing. You have all the key players. You got Mary, you got Joseph, you got the baby, which of course is accurate. Uh, oftentimes you'll have an assortment of animals, probably some sheep, uh, donkey, maybe a camel here or there. There's usually some shepherds that are there. The, uh, of course, the wise men are there, and there's always three. And oftentimes they have crowns on their head, which we just talked about a second ago. And then oftentimes in a nativity set, if yours is like mine, there's usually an angel somewhere in there. In fact, if you look at this one, there's an angel just kind of intermixed in there. Sometimes the angel on nativity sets is perched up uh, above the whole thing. 
Now, now that's a beautiful scene, but there are some misconceptions with that. Here's just a couple. The first one is the angel. And while it is true uh, that the biblical account of the birth of Jesus includes many angel appearances to humans with, an, with the announcement of good news, uh, the Bible never tells us that there was any visible angel appearance that took place at the birth itself. And so the nativity scene, the idea that there was a visible angel present, is not necessarily biblical. The Bible for sure tells us that there wasn't an angel with a sash that said Gloria on it. So I'm not really sure where that idea came from, but some of you guys have that as well. Another misconception with the nativity scene is, again, the wise men. Um, If you have wise men in your nativity set, that presents a severe chronological problem. Because if you read the Bible, what you find is the wise men didn't actually start traveling until the birth of Jesus when they saw the star. And so commentators point out it would have taken these guys several months to to finally uh, arrive to present their gifts to the newborn king. And so the wise men would not have been at the nativity scene. And so all that to say, here's a quick homework assignment for you. I double-dog dare you to do this. If, you, uh, if you're going over to your relative's house tonight or tomorrow and they have a nativity set, I want you to go up to it, and if they have an angel, I want you to take the angel and hide it because there was, there was no visible angel appearance at the, according to the Bible. And then I want you to take the wise men, and I want you to put them on the far side of the room because they would have been traveling far off. And if someone gives you a hard time about it, just say, hey, look, I'm just trying to be biblically accurate, all right? So you have my permission to do that. All right, misconception number three, uh, that the circumstances that surrounded the birth of Jesus were calm. Misconception three, the the circumstances that surrounded the birth of Jesus were calm. It's fascinating when you listen to the songs that we sing this time of year about the birth of Jesus. Sometimes they can paint this picture that the birth of Christ was kind of this hallmark, uh, precious moments-esque moment. And so think about what we sing, right? We sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Or we sing uh, away in the manger, right? The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And, and again, he, it just kind of paints this, 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 this surreal picture, this serene picture of the birth of Jesus. Now again, biblically, there's no evidence that the circumstances that surrounded the birth of Jesus were calm. In fact, if you can just, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if any of you have ever been in a delivery room when a baby was born, I know I was there for the birth of three of my children, which I have three, so that's 100% of them, and, uh, and I was in the room for that, and it was anything but silent, and it was anything but calm. It was chaotic, right? And that would have been the same in Jesus' scenario as well. In fact, when you read in the Bible about the birth of Jesus, you see that the entire scenario was surrounded in chaos. Here you have a, a young couple that's pledged to be married, and then she turns out to be pregnant, which would have been a scandal, but totally scandalous back in, those, in, in that time. Uh, here you have a, uh, a, a, a megalomaniac king, King Herod, who heard the news of a new king that was born. He was egocentric and paranoid and tried to kill all of the babies in that land. You have a couple on the run. You have birth in a manger. I mean, the circumstances around Christmas were anything but calm. They were absolutely chaotic. And yet, when you read in the Bible, and it talks about the birth of Jesus Christ, it always explains that this is a declaration of peace, that this is an announcement of goodwill to men and peace on earth. And so here's the question that we want to talk about a little bit with the rest of our time that we have here today is how is it possible that in the midst of such chaos that Christmas can deliver peace? Because we believe that when you understand the true message and the true meaning of Christmas, that it has the power to bring true peace and true calm, regardless of the chaos that you might be facing in the circumstances of your life. Because here's my guess. My guess is that if I asked any of you today in this room, if you could describe for me, and if you were being real honest, if I said, if you could describe to me in one word 
what Christmas looks like for you, what the holidays look like for you and your family, just in one word, my guess is that the last word that you would probably use is the word calm. Uh, You might say energetic. You might say exciting. I think for some of us, we might say busy. We might say frantic. For some of us, we might say chaotic, running all over the place with everything that's going on. Honestly, for some of us, we might say dysfunctional. Christmas has a way of bringing all that up. For some of us, honestly, we might say hard. For some of you, you're facing the loss of a loved one for the first time this year, or maybe a loss of a relationship, a breakup, or a divorce. Or it might be hard. And, and, and so here, here's what we want to investigate together. How does, the, how does Christmas have the power to bring us true calm and true peace, even in the midst of the most chaotic circumstances? Because we believe very strongly that that is the case, that understanding the true message and true meaning of Christmas has the power to bring us peace, true calm, regardless of what our circumstances might be. And how is that? Well, here's what we're going to find tonight. That Christmas is a profound statement. And Christmas tells us something about God, and Christmas tells us something about us. And so here's what we want to do with the rest of our time tonight. What we want to do is we want to spend some time talking about God. We want to try to wrap our mind around God, to set our minds on who he is. And then we want to talk about us. We want to talk about our circumstance and our situation. And I want to talk about what does Christmas say about God and about us. God. This simple utterance of this word sends the mind into a chaotic frenzy. An odd way of describing something that is far too vast and complex to completely and adequately understand. God. Three letters dedicated to a mystery that spans the ages and reaches beyond the breadth of the cosmos. God. The irony is striking. Words themselves are intended to limit, designed to establish borders, employed to restrict, given to define, provided to include and exclude. How then could it profit to speak of the limitless, the infinite, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present, the glorious, with a single word. God. Language cannot express that which is completely set apart from the present human experience. So we are left to association, simile, suggestion, metaphor, analogy, and parable. Knowing the implicit absurdity of his efforts, the psalmist still strives to express the ineffable, endeavors to somehow explain the transcendent majesty of the God of the heavens, the Lord from whom everything that finds existence draws its origins, the one who is set apart from the world because he is not only its maker, but stands above it as its sovereign ruler. That psalmist poet says, the Lord reigns, 
Let the earth shriek ecstatically. Let the many coastlands rejoice. Clouds and darkness surrounding him. Righteousness and justice supporting his throne. Fire goes from before his face, and it devours all around his adversaries. His lightning illuminates the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains, like wax, are melted before the face of the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the expanse above gives report of his righteousness. And all the peoples see his glory. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. Light he sows into the righteous, and to the right-hearted, joy. Rejoice, righteous ones, in the Lord, and confess his holy name. No man, woman, sage, prophet, icon, can ascribe to God that which is truly due him. He is outside our categories, beyond our imagination, free of the restrictions given to him by those who seek some kind of comprehension, any thought of definition, or those who look to conform him to their image. So we resort to the very analogies that, in the end, cannot bring us anywhere close to the full portrait of all that God is. God is perfect. God is loving. God is gracious. God is powerful. God is sovereign. God is mighty. is not like us. So I turn to run 
Christmas is a statement to us, and it says something about God, and it says something about us. Christmas is a profound, profound declaration about God and about us. Let me see if I can explain it this way. One of the things that you'll notice if you've ever read through your Bible or if you read through your Bible is that the Bible is always trying to expose us to the fact that there is an infinite distance that exists between these two entities, Uh, that there is an infinite expanse between God and between us. Let me just show you a few, a few examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, for example, in the Bible, the Bible tells us about God. And it tells us that God is the creator of all things. 
And so the Bible depicts this in many different ways, but one of the spots that we see this is in Nehemiah chapter 9. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 9. It says, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all of their starry hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that's in them. You give life to everything in the multitudes of heaven worship you. And the Bible looks at God and, and it credits to him all of creation. And the Bible says that God is the creative force, the creative initiative behind all things, from the magnificent to, to, to the microscopic, from, from the galaxies to the atomic level. Everything finds its origin, is held together by this creator God. The Bible says that God is the author of life, that life flows from God, that everything that has life, it, it is given life from the creator, from God. And in, in comparison to that, as it relates to us, the Bible would say this. The Bible says that we, in contrast, are created. And again, the Bible says this in so many ways. The psalmist, reflecting on this in Psalm 139, says this. He says, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. You see, what the Bible says is that whereas God is the creator, we are the created. Uh, that, 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 that we intrinsically, every single one of us, ha- has, has a curiosity and ha- has, a, ha- has this, internal, uh, this internal pool that's speaking to us and telling us that, man, everything in creation shouts that there's a designer. And when we look into our own hearts and we look at the complexity of ourselves and the life that we have, that everything inside of us internally is shouting that there is a creator, that there is a God. The Bible says that he's the creator, that we're the creator. The Bible says about God that he is eternal, that God is infinite. Isaiah chapter 40 puts it this way. It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary and his understanding is unsearchable. The Bible says that God is infinite. That God is eternal in his power. He is infinite in his origin. He, is, he, he, he has always been and he always will be. He has never had a start and he, has never, he will never have an end. The Bible says that he's eternal. And we, on the other hand, the Bible says in juxtaposition to God that we are finite creatures. And so the Bible would say it this way in James chapter 4, verse, verse 14. The writer of James says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You see, the Bible says about us and our situation that we are finite, that we are fragile, that we are frail creatures. The Bible says about us that we are like a mist that appears and is gone, that we are like a vapor, that we are like dust. In the face of the infinite God, we are finite. The Bible says about God that he's perfect, perfect in every way. Second Samuel chapter 22, the writer puts it this way. He says, God's way is perfect and all the Lord's promises are proven true. God is perfect in every way. He is morally perfect. He is perfect in justice. He is perfect in love. He is perfect in his plans. They always are accomplished according to his will. There is no one who can thwart his plans and there is no one who can stay his hands, what the Bible tells us. And again, in comparison and contrast, that the Bible says about us that we are imperfect. I think all of us know that. None of us are perfect. The Bible says that we are flawed and we are broken people. It it puts it this way in Romans chapter three, verse 23. It says, for everyone has sinned, every single one of us, And all of us fall short of God's glorious standard. I can give you so many more verses, but there's verse after verse in the Bible that is just trying to establish for us that there is an infinite distance between these two entities. That God is not like us. That we are finite and he is infinite. That we are created and he is the creator. That we are imperfect and he is perfect. And what the Bible says is this. Is the Bible says that puts us in a very, very interesting dilemma. That we are in a desperate position because there is nothing that we can do 
to, to, to ascend ourselves to the creator, to ascend ourselves to the infinite, to ascend ourselves to the perfect. And the Bible says that because each one of us has sinned, because each one of us ha- is imperfect and broken, that because of that, that there's a distance between us and a relationship with God that we were intended to have has been severed. And there's nothing that we can do to earn ourselves a, a relationship with God. But you see, here's where Christmas comes in. Because Christmas is an unbelievable, profound statement of peace. And it says something about God, and it says something about us, and it speaks something about this expanse that exists between us and God. And this is what it is. Here's the profound statement that Christmas makes about God and about us. We actually see it right there in the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. And let me just show it to you real quick. Matthew 1 says this. It says, all of this took place... He's talking about the birth of Jesus in the Christmas story. He says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What is the profound statement that Christmas is making to us about God and about us? Here it is. It is that God came to be with us. God with us. Because again, the Christmas story tells us that there's nothing that we could do. It was, un- it was an unscalable distance. There's nothing we could have done to ascend ourselves to God. But Christmas is a profound statement that God has descended and has come into our situation. He has entered into the human situation. You guys, this is such a profound truth. Sometimes it can be hard for us to comprehend all that that means. It's actually kind of interesting. This, this, uh, even this past week, I had a friend of mine who um, was telling me about how he was trying to explain the true meaning of Christmas to his kids. This was years ago. And he told me about something that he did, and I thought it was so cool. And so I decided to try it with my kids this week. So um, if, if you guys don't know me, my wife and I, we have three kids. So we have uh, two, two little boys that are five and uh, seven, uh, two little guys. And we have a little princess. She's 11 months. And, uh, and so that's a blast having the kids during the holidays. But uh, this past week, I got the boys together because the princess is still just a little bit too small yet. And so I got the boys together and I said, I said, hey guys, um, I said, I want you to come here for a minute. I want to talk about something. They were playing Legos or something. And so they, they came over like, yeah, what's going on? And I said, um, I said, hey guys, do you, do you guys know what um, the true meaning of Christmas is all about? Like what Christmas, what we really celebrate during Christmas. And so my kids, of course, you know, they're, they're pastor's kids. And so they grow up around the church. So they know how to parrot back all of the right answers, you know. So I was like, you guys know what Christmas is all about? And they're like, yes, Father. You know, Jesus is the reason for the season, you know. And I was like, that's really corny and uh, true. But yeah, corny. And so I was like, I was like yeah, I said, uh, I said, you guys know, I said, do you guys know what Emmanuel means? And they were like, no. I said, well, Emmanuel means God with us. And I said, what Christmas is really all about, one of, the, one of the big things we're celebrating is that God came to be with us. You guys, I said, you guys know why that's so important? And they're like, no, not really. I said, okay. I said, well, can we, can we play? I said, can we try something? Can we play a game? I said, to kind of help us understand what Christmas is all about. And they're like, sure. So I said, okay. So, so here's the game. I said, I want you guys to go down in the basement. And so I had my, my, my two boys go down in the basement. I said, I want you to stay at the bottom of the stairs. I said, now I'm going to stand at the top of the stairs. Okay, so we got this whole thing set up. And I said, so I want you to imagine, just for illustration's sake, that I'm God. Okay, so I'm not really God, but, but I just want you to imagine that I'm God. And, and you represent all people. Okay? I said, and the Bible says that there is a huge distance between, between us. That, that I'm the creator and that you're, or that, you know, I'm the creator and you're the created, that I'm infinite and you're fine. I kind of went through all that and explained it. I said, so there's this big, this big distance. I said, but here's the thing. I really love you and I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I said, so how are you guys going to come up and be with me? And they said, well, that's easy. You just 
take the stairs. I said, right, it would seem that way. I said, but, but here's the thing. I said, you guys, the Bible actually says that because of our imperfection, because of our sin and our disobedience to God, which all of us have done and all of us do, I said, the Bible says that there is nothing that we can do. There's no amount of good works or righteousness or whatever that we can do to earn a relationship with God. I said, so here's kind of the catch. I said, I want you to come up and be with me, but you're not allowed to touch the stairs and you're not allowed to touch the walls. And they kind of looked at me. You could tell they were a little kind of like puzzled by it. And so after a little while... My one son goes, well, um, he goes, can I, can I put my feet on the edge of the stairs? It's like, no, buddy, can't do that. You know, you can't touch the stairs, can't touch the wall. And he's like, well, can I climb the railing, like kind of like monkey style? And I was like, no, I can't do that, buddy. It's attached to the wall and kind of counts as part of that. And then he said, well, what if I got a blanket and I put a blanket over the stairs? Like I wouldn't technically be touching the stairs, you know? And I was like, nice try, but no, that's not going to work. And my one son, I thought this was funny. He actually goes, well, what if I took an airplane? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, with the airplane you have stashed in the basement, right? I was like, no, you don't have an airplane, you know? And, and, and so I could, it was interesting watching. I could actually see my kids started getting, it was, it was really fascinating. They actually started getting frustrated with, with it. And at one point, my son, he actually said this. He goes, dad, he goes, I, after about four hours of doing this, he said, no, I'm just he goes, he goes, dad, he goes, I really want to be with you. And I don't know how. And you can hear the desperation in his voice. And I said, and I looked at him, I said, buddy, I said, listen, what if I told you that I know, I promise you that there is a way that you can come up to me without touching the stairs, without that, I promise you. And he said, I don't know what it is. I said, think about it, buddy. I said, if you can't do anything to come up here, then what can happen? And you could see the light bulb go on in his head. And he, all of a sudden he got it and he said, well, you could come down here. I said, that's right. I could come down there. I said, I could come be with you. And I said, and what would happen if I came down there? He said, well, if you came down, me, down here, you could carry me upstairs. I said, you got it, buddy. I said, if I come down, I can. And so I said, do you, do you want me to do that? He said, yeah. And so I went down the stairs. I picked him up, put him in my arms. I started walking up the stairs. I said, buddy, are you touching the stairs? He said, nope. I said, buddy, are you touching the walls? He said, nope. I said, that's right, man. You're just resting because I'm going to carry you up the stairs. And I brought him up to the top of the stairs. And so we were at the top and my, my youngest son was in the basement and I looked down at him and I shut the door and we went off. And I, was, and I, uh, no, I said, buddy, I said, uh, I said, you want to come up too? And he said, yeah. I said, how are you going to do it? He said, same way. I said, that's right. And I came downstairs. I picked him up and I brought him upstairs. And we finally got in the kitchen. I thought, oh man, this is it. Like teachable moment right here, you know? And so I said, I said, you guys, I said, this is what Christmas is all about. This is what Christmas is. Emmanuel. God came to be with us. Do you guys, and I said, do you guys understand what that means? I said, do you understand what the true meaning of Christmas is now? And they said, yeah. I said, what's the true meaning of Christmas? They said, Santa. <laughs> they, they didn't actually say that. You know, my youngest son said, and I, I'm not kidding. This is what he thought this was so cool. My youngest son said, Christmas is that God came down so he could bring us up. I said, buddy, you got it. Because that is exactly what the Bible, you guys, why is it? Why is it that at Christmas time we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, God be with us. And ransom captive Israel. Why do we sing that? Is that not like my son at the bottom of the stairs in desperation saying, would someone please come down? I, I can do nothing to get myself. Would somebody please come down? See, because here's what Christmas says. Christmas says there is nothing that we could do to be with God. There's no amount of righteousness or good works or behavior modification. You can't clean up your life enough to be right with God. But Christmas says that God, that he came to be with us. 
that God descended. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two that he humbled himself. He took on flesh, becoming like us, and he entered into the human scenario to be with us. But you guys, it doesn't stop there because this is at Christmas is just the beginning of the story because the Bible says that this baby came for a very deliberate reason. And he went on to live a perfect life that none of us could live. And he went, to, went on to die a sacrificial death on the cross that, that all of us deserve to die. Three days later, the Bible says he rose from the dead. And those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that through faith, when we put our faith in Christ, that we will be made right and he will bring us to him. That he will take us up to where he is. And see, this is what the Bible says that Christmas is all about. You guys, I think this is what Peter had in mind in the book of 1 Peter when he said this. He said, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. Look at this. To bring you home safely to God. What's Christmas all about? It is a profound statement about God in us. It is a profound statement that God came into human history, that he entered in to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Listen, if, you, if you're a person today and you're investigating Jesus, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian or you're, you, know, you, don't know, you don't know what you believe spiritually. So let me just say something, that, that, that Christianity, the very heart of it, it is not about climbing the stairs. For, for some of us, we, we might think that the way that we get to God is through right behavior, that the way that we're accepted by God is, is by our moral performance or by getting our act together or cleaning ourselves up. And a lot of times, I think when we talk about Christianity and religion, that's how people understand it. Religion says, I need to work my way up the stairs. I got to try harder. I have to exert more effort. But you see, Christmas says, no, no, that's not the case. Christmas says, no, God came down to where we were, into our mess, into our chaos, into our circumstances, in order that he might provide salvation to take us home safely to where he was. So you guys, listen, I hope this Christmas season... I hope you enjoy everything. I hope you enjoy the family and enjoy the tradition and enjoy the food. Enjoy it all. Have a blast. But it is my hope and it is our hope here at the Medina East Campus, our highest hope, that this Christmas season you wouldn't miss out on the greatest message that humanity has ever heard. And that is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. God came to be with us. He came to dwell among us. And listen, if you're a person who has never understood Jesus this way, maybe for you, the first, you're hearing this and, and for the first time, it's clicking for you in a way it's never clicked before. Listen, I would encourage you by faith, put your hope in Christmas. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in Emmanuel, that God came to be with us. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that tonight. You can do that right here. There's no magic formula. You don't have to say some magic prayer. You don't have to sacrifice a small animal just between your heart and God's heart. You could just tell him, God, I understand why you came. And Jesus, I put my faith in you and I trust Emmanuel, God with us, that you came down to bring us back up. You guys, if you get nothing else, if you get nothing else this Christmas season, I hope you get this, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Well, God, I wanna say thank you so much for Emmanuel. Thank you that you didn't just leave us in a desperate, desolate situation. But God, that you humbled yourself and you entered into the human story. Jesus, thank you for grace. Because Christmas is a profound, loud declaration of your grace to us. 
Father, there's nothing we could do to earn ourselves or to work ourselves into your favor. There's nothing that we could do to make ourselves presentable enough to be accepted by you. God, the truth is we are created and you're the creator. We are finite and you are infinite, God. We are imperfect and you are perfect. And there's nothing we could do in that situation, Father, to, to, to make ourselves somehow right with you. But Jesus, I love, love, love that you have done everything, that you spanned heaven and you've spanned the universe to come into our situation and to meet us where we are so that in faith you can take us to where we need to go. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone today who, who maybe has never embraced that message, maybe has never embraced the truth of, of what Christmas actually teaches and tells us. And if that's the case, Father, I pray that you do a work in their heart. Help them come to know you as Emmanuel, God with us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How is it possible that um, in the midst of chaos, chaotic circumstances, that we can sing all is calm? Well, the reason that we can say that there's calm and the reason we can say that there's peace, even in the most chaotic circumstances, is because of Emmanuel. It is that God came to be with us. And, you know, this holiday season, I hope that in the midst of, for some of you, the chaos you might be facing, the chaotic circumstances in life, that you don't miss the peace that's available to you in Emmanuel, that Jesus came to be with us, to set us in a right relationship with God. And so it's because of that that we can sing All is Calm. In a minute, we're going to sing the song Silent Night together, which we learned earlier was apocryphal, and uh, that'll be fun, but uh, we're going to sing that song together, but the, the lyrics say, all is calm, and, and we can actually declare that, regardless of what you're going through, you can actually sing that. Why? Because Emmanuel, because it says that God is with us. I would encourage you as we sing this song as well, maybe just take a moment. You know, I know you have um, probably activities and traditions and family things going on tonight and tomorrow and the frenzy and the busy and all of those things that's wonderful but maybe even now just the next couple of minutes take some time just to talk to God take some time to interact with him to thank him for Christmas to thank him for Emmanuel to express gratitude for what he has done for us through the story of Christmas so let's sing this song together silently
amidst all the chaos and amidst all the anxiety that can come so easily in this Christmas season, the reality is, is that we can sing that, that all is calm because Jesus has done it. He's become like one of us to take on the burden of sin, to liberate us and to free us. And he's simply asking us just to stretch out our hand and receive the gift that is his life poured into us. And we receive that by faith. It's an amazing thing. Well, at this time, we want to, again, thank you so much for being here and sharing this Christmas Eve uh, with us. It is time to extinguish your candles. So all you moms out there that have small little ones with the candles, that's a, this is a winning moment for you. But uh, again, thank you so much for uh, being with us tonight. Um, I want to encourage you out in the cafe. We've got eggnog, hot chocolate. Pass around the eggnog. Do that thing. It's, it's awesome. But maybe just uh, stick around for a little bit. Make a connection with somebody that you don't know. Ha- continue the conversation. We're going to sing one last song together. You're more than welcome to stick around here and sing that with us. But if you've got to be moving on, you can certainly do that at this time. But again, guys, thank you so much for being here and have a very, very Merry Christmas.